Yo, what's up? Hey, how's it going? Good. Hey, you know what? Before we introduce the episode, I, I keep forgetting to I keep forgetting to tell you this because I I uh, I know y'all you'll get some sort of amusement out of it. I uh, stubbornly have just like never ever really like sat down and listened to Spy, mm-hmm. um, and I finally did, and I was like, and then I went to go see him uh, a couple days ago on the ceremony tour. That's a pretty good band. Wow. But I've really been <laughs> the fuck yeah, have I been doing? Believe I I feel like you are probably stubborn enough. I mean, as someone who also is to not listen to them just because they've been hyped. Um, at least for me, I like if a movie is if I'm hearing a lot that I should see a movie, I'm not gonna go see it on Same. principle. Yep. Same. Um and I think, especially if I'm hearing about this work of art uh, or artist from people whose tastes I don't think align with mine, I'll be yep. like, yeah, this sounds like something I won't like. <laughs> but, but yeah, believe the hype with Spy for real. Yeah. I, well, at first I had like written it off as hoax for Gen Z, you know, and I was like, whatever. I already lived through like the hoax era of Mysterious Guy Hardcore, like. Now this is, this is like the pop culture version of hoax, but you know what it is and it rules and they were so good the other night. I've seen them twice now, both times. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like this. And then both times I'm like, this is so good. These guys are so good. Yeah, Really <laughs> good. Yeah. They were my uh, first show after quarantine at this, uh, I guess, infamous, uh, show in Oakland. Um, under a freeway underpass with like cars on fire and probably permanent hearing damage from a firework blowing up beside my head. But yeah, that was their first show. And my first show uh, back from after quarantine and it was wild. And then I saw them, I think I've seen them three times now, uh, but I saw them at convulse fest, which is appropriate because we talked to Adam last week and for all the bands on that fest, it was amazing to see the crowd reaction Spy got because that was, I mean, if there was a stacked fest, that was it. And Spy just, the whole place turned into a beehive. It was, I've never seen anything like it. That There was not a safe place to stand. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> dude. They, you know what? They, uh, they've, got, they've got the sauce. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not even trying to like kiss their ass or anything because I know no. I think I think one of them actually listens to us every once in a while. But um, yeah, the, no, yeah. I, I I love it for them. I I, I want to see more of it, dude. Yeah, uh, same honest, same honestly. But anyway, um, hey, welcome to Politicor. I'm Dylan. I'm Evan. Today, did we we had this was the in my opinion this is like pretty much apex Politicor episode. We say that about all of them, but. I just keep, uh, you know, Evan, I don't know what else to say. I just keep having the time of my life talking into the Anchor app with you and our guests. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I, I'm glad to hear that just on a personal level. But yeah, I, you know, it's, it's one of these things where even it's, it's easy for me in leading up to these to think I have, I'm way too busy. This is, it's hard for me to justify in terms of my schedule setting time aside to do things like this um but every time i'm i'm in an episode or done with an episode i'm really enriched and really feel good about it yeah same um 
yeah well, i don't know like i said like i think i've told you before we have like six listeners but um i don't care i'm having fun so yeah i that's uh, you know it doesn't if it's it's essentially we're publicizing what would be like uh dream conversations between me you and people i admire at like a coffee shop and then everybody just happens to get to hear it if they want to um so if it's just an excuse to talk to a, a good friend and to people i admire then that's good enough for me dude sam duh yeah, yeah. um it's been awesome but yeah will you uh will, will you take the reins for a second and just briefly describe yeah. our guest in our episode sure yeah so sam thomas is a is a um, associate professor and lecturer in, in American studies or in, in, in English literature, but in American studies and critical theory at Durham University in the UK. Um, I actually was uh, plugged into him because my wife is more fluent in Twitter than I am and found that this particular literature professor in, in the UK was uh, really focusing on literature and metal as as one genre or as complementary genres um, and suggested that I reach out, especially because we've been trying to, on this show, find a good balance of musicians and academics and um, and just people who are involved in both academia and the music in one way or another and he seemed like a pretty perfect example or per perfect guest for that so we i started uh communicating with him a few months ago and we finally um now that he's settled into his school year and i've settled into mine um found some time to to set aside uh across an extremely wide time difference uh between the three of us um yeah and it was a fantastic episode it went it covered a lot of ground yeah, so Sam was the ideal political guest. Um, yeah, if you uh, uh, if you like metal even a little bit, this is a great episode. If you uh, are constantly wondering why uh, Atlas Shrugged is just responsible for every, all the worst elements of society, we we go there for uh, we go there for a little bit. Um, if you are curious about, you know, the 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 crossover between American literature, British literature, and how it all ties into just all forms of extreme music, this is this is a great episode. I'll, we're going to stop talking right now. As always, um, get at us if there's somebody you want to see on the show. Yeah, definitely get some recommendations in there because because uh, we've got some cool some cool guests uh, in the works, but recommendations are always much appreciated. Cool. Well, yeah. Thanks, everyone. And uh, talk to you later. Yeah, please. What's up? Hey, how's it going? You know, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't I don't have anything clever or funny to say for to start anything off. I'm fine. <laughs> Are you on your post? post pump high yeah um yeah it was good it was it was a good pump the gains were strong the gains were strong today for sure we're going for the for the harm's way dillinger escape plan physique yeah that's my plan you know so i feel like at least in the band i play in now i feel like the 
the duality between uh, lead vocals and then like guitar needs to needs to be like somebody listen somebody in there needs to be buff i don't know <laughs> it, it doesn't matter who it is but someone needs to be lifting so um uh, fun fact there was a guy at the gym today in a harm's way shirt so you know yeah harm's way has has probably contracted with um planet fitness or something they at least need some kind of endorsement deal i feel like they're probably driving a lot of people to uh (laughs) to build build their bodies hey you know i uh i i hope that one day uh one of the bands i'm playing in just like gets a deal with with a big box gym you know i don't know that sounds cool to me yeah, protein powder for life. Dude, the, okay, Pig City protein powder is absolutely <laughs> something. We already made coffee and then Yeah, you already made, have coffee. Yeah, we, we okay, we made coffee and then nobody fucking bought it. Because I think they just thought we put like Folgers in a bag with our logo on it. We didn't. Uh it was roasted uh is uh certified fair trade organic from Xanadu Coffee Roasters out in Phoenix. Um so I don't know, pro- protein powder next. That'd be sick, dude. Just I go come up to the merch table, you know, like hoodies, you know, 35 t-shirts, 20 pro like bag of protein powder, you know, 50, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pea protein. None of that way stuff. No, no. Well, always, always plant-based, but you know, that's, that's mm-hmm. how we roll. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know. You got any other merch ideas that you could throw around while we're, while we're waiting for Sam? I've here? been getting on the protein thing ahead of time because coffee's, kind of made the rounds okay dude okay i got i got uh, you know what's funny is uh the first time we like played like in oakland um somebody from uh somebody from a very 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 big hardcore band just showed up randomly we played for like 15 people including this this person who also works uh in the coffee in the world of coffee comes up to the merch table looks at the coffee that we have and was like, oh, that's so funny and so cool, you know, like, we have a nice chat or whatever. Uh, f- uh, I saw recently that that band now has their own coffee, so. Mm-hmm. Mm, I'm a little, you know, I don't know. I I, uh, I bet you people are fucking buying that one. I'm just always mad. I'm just always mad that nobody buys my band's coffee. That's intellectual property theft. I, You know what? I should shoot him a message and just be like, listen. <laughs> yeah, it's not like Nate from Converge was doing it, too. Nope, nope, just me. I think they just started their uh, brick and mortar not too long ago. Oh, that's awesome. No, I'll joke. I'll joking aside. More bands should make coffee. Like clearly, hardcore's like fan base is like aging in a way to where like just another black T-shirt isn't really gonna like fulfill that that merch table high the same way it used to. So <laughs> I like it when bands have like coffees or like just random things of, of that dude yes oh my god see okay we, we're we're this is the idea department yeah hey guys, am, I, am i coming through yeah yeah hey what's up hey 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 good to talk with you both hi yeah hey zam let us know if you have any ridiculous merch ideas for dylan to integrate into his band <laughs> <laughs> well i was i was hearing about the, the the coffee idea i know the last band that i saw putting coffee out were um imperial triumphant i think <laughs> um, 
they totally stole that from us too. Pig City was the first everything. Uh, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. All right, well, I, I need to. I'll, I'll have to get on that and sample some. Yeah, yeah. We, I, I'm in the process of of getting our legal team on on a lot of stuff. Like pretty much everybody, every band that's doing better than us, I, they they stole something from us. Is kind of the uh, <laughs> is how I'm operating. I think that that's really healthy and a good way to look at this uh, community I love so much. Is all just potential adversaries that I need to send, like see in court. <laughs> I think Dylan should send Sam some Pig City coffee just so it can be seized by customs. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know what? Uh, I have, I actually have bad news about the Pig City coffee. Um, we, uh, we're not thinking. And we, when we played in Tucson on our last tour, we didn't load it in because we were like, oh, it's, we're playing a festival. There's too much competition. Nobody's going to want coffee. And then we left it in the van and like the Arizona sun just completely like it, all of the pig city coffee is officially fucked up. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there, yeah, there's, an, there's another massive hardcore band that uh, completely stole our idea. Uh, go buy their coffee. I bet you it's better anyway. <laughs> I don't know, like sunburnt coffee is pretty on brand for a Mesa band. That's yeah, that's that's fair. It's just like, hey, is this coffee good? No, well, no, no, of course not. That's kind of the point. That's the whole. That's the whole point of this, you know. Well, perhaps we should introduce our guest. Oh shit! Yeah, um, yeah, that's a good move. Good move. Uh, Politicor has gone international. Um, Sam, would you? like to introduce yourself uh, sure yeah um i mean like first and foremost um thanks so much for for having me on to to, to to both of you um i've actually become a real fan of the the podcast since you first got in touch um so uh i hope that i can kind of halfway live up to to the standards that that you've set so far um i'm not sure i'm anyone is going to be able to top eugene robinson and uh, <laughs> I definitely don't have stories about the the Clintons, um, but um, my name is is Sam Thomas. I'm uh, a lecturer in the English department um, at Durham University in in the northeast of England, um, and I split my time between Durham, uh, where I where I teach, and uh, what's my new home base in Birmingham, the the birthplace of of heavy metal, of course. Um, I specialize in, in modern and contemporary U.S. fiction, um, particularly the, the novelist Thomas Pynchon. Um, I'm also very interested in, in the politics of, of genre, uh, in representations of, of counterculture and political violence and, and crime. Um, and right now, um, my research is, is mostly focused on the relationships between literature and music, um, especially metal music. Um, so that's that's something I've explored in some small scale projects, you know, book chapters, talks, and interviews. Um, and right now, I'm I'm in the early stages of uh, of writing a book on that subject uh, that that uh, that's called "Feels Like Hell." Uh, metal music and modern American literature. So that's the that's the big thing that I'm the, developing at the moment. Now, I uh, some people who listen might know that I have been an English teacher for a long time, and it's 
one of these things that should not have seemed remarkable to me, but somehow was that I guess it, it somehow never occurred to me that considering all the uh, British literature scholars in the US that there would be American literature scholars in the UK. Right, <laughs> sure, sure. Is it a, especially a widespread discipline or area of study? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Most, uh, like, you know, most literature departments, most English departments in the UK um, will probably be home to at least sort of, you know, one or two specialists in, in, in American lit. Um, and it'd be, you know, a mixture of people who work on, on, on you know, canonical material or, or, or very contemporary material or, or, or material that's been sort of historically neglected uh, in, in, in the past. Um, but I guess, yeah, the, the discipline of, of American studies has quite a, a complex history in, in the UK. Um, a lot of dedicated American studies departments in, uh, in UK universities actually actually closed, you know. So this, um, this old system of historians and literary scholars and, and film people kind of, you know, working together under the umbrella of, of American studies um, was, was something that, you know, was really part of British university life for a while. Um, but it's, it's a little different now, kind of people are, you know, absorbed back into their individual departments, if that makes sense. Hmm. What, uh, what drew you to American literature specifically? Because as I learn more about like the history of American literature as a, as a art form in, hmm, as as in like Hegelian antithesis to British literature hmm. uh, or to as an antithesis to Soviet literature um, and, and essentially being an art form whose movements were largely in reaction to uh, or re rebuttal to uh, other movements globally. Um, I'm curious to know what drew you to American literature um, as a person who's not from America. Sure. Wow. Yeah. Again, it's, there's a lot of different ways in which I could answer that question, I suppose. And, um, there are, there's a, there's a bunch of academic, uh, responses I, I, I could give that could go off in, in all kinds of niche directions, I suppose. But, um, personally, I think like what, what drew me to, 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 to us literature, initially when I was when I was young um I suppose a, a, a kind of you know that sense of um you know the same but also profoundly different you know <laughs> um you know working in uh the the, the same language but uh, uh, simultaneously um opening up these kind of you know imaginative vistas that that to me were um were wild and, and and strange and uh and inspiring and, and and disturbing um you know in a way that sort of took me out of of, of what i felt was you know a kind of a, a dreary suburban <laughs> uh Br british uh, existence you know 
um so that there's there's actually just just personally there's there's an element of kind of you know fantasy to to, to that initially that that initial attraction to to us lit like uh some kind of dimension of of escape as well um and actually i mean that maybe a little bit thinking here about um you know overlaps between uh between us lit and and, and metal yeah. as well like like some of the kind of the way in which like some of the motifs in um in kind of classic uh american literature and in metal um kind of are, are i think quite powerfully connected you know so. can you elaborate on that well um i'm thinking you know issues like like paranoia consumption conspiracy alienation war um you know legacies of of historical violence um you know, different visions of the, the, the frontier for for instance um like that's that's one those are areas where i see kind of connections between um you know what we've come to understand as these kind of um repeated motifs in, in in american literature and and in metal music around the world you know hmm yeah what uh as a as somebody who's who's kind of exploring the intersection of of punk with disciplines that i'm studying um was metal something you just grew up with and found these intersections uh or or when did these 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 connecting of the dots happen for you i think some of those dots have have sort of always been there but um it's not until kind of like recent years i suppose that i um that i really got a, got the confidence to to take this forward academically and like one of one of the things that interested me there was the fact that you know compared to um other genres like punk or like like hip-hop for instance where you've you've got i suppose kind of um comparable historical associations with sort of you know anti-establishment danger right like you know punk and hip-hop and metal at different points in their histories have all been cast as as kind of you know degenerate you know, in some way or have been associated, you know, can be associated with kind of moral panics. Yeah. Uh, mm. in ways. Um, even if the kind of internal politics of, of each of those scenes and the sociologies of, of each of those scenes, um, you know, might be very different for all the, the lines of connections you can draw. But, you know, with, with punk, everyone's quite comfortable describing, uh, I don't, you know, a writer like Kathy Acker, as as a as a punk novelist right as as, as a punk writer you know, and um punk poetry right is is a kind of you know it's an established notion and um especially thinking about specific scenes and histories uh you know downtown in in new york for instance that kind of uh, like collision of different energies different artistic practices in the in the 70s and 80s um and you know, hip hop poetics are like part of university English departments, right? And or, or you know, prose writer like Colson Whitehead in in a lot of literary criticism, um, you know, academics will sort of use 
metaphors to do with sampling and, and mixing as a way of kind of characterizing his, his work. But there's just, there's just no equivalent with, with metal, despite the fact that like from the very beginnings of metal, it's this genre that's that that's um you know borrowing from literary sources like adapting mm. literary sources um that that's, that's kind of drawn to to all kinds of different literature um you know across its um diversification mm. okay that makes a lot of sense to me whereas punk and hip-hop um see their rejection from this mainstream as like motivation to further cast themselves out or embrace that uh extraction and uh reject the exact forms from that system so you get like um kind of deconstruction of of the modes from the mainstream whereas metal i mean one of the things that especially now, and I hope we'll get into this, the kind of blurring lines between metal and punk, mm. where, I mean, almost any band that anybody is publicizing now has some adjectives or some prefaces that have punk orientation and some that have metal orientation. Um, but thematically, metal is rather canonical, right? You would, I, I mean, a lot of metal is drawing from Milton, from the Bible, from Dante, from sure. um, Dickens. Uh, I mean, um, is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, to, to, to some degree, like uh, a, a lot of, and of course, metal's a form that like has a really powerful, like canonical is a great word there, right? because metal has a really powerful sense of its own canon as well, that like um, often, you know, acceptance into um, metal subcultures or sort of initiation into metal subcultures, gatekeeping around metal um, often kind of involves like like um, an understanding of the canon, mm. like, like mm -hmm. a, 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 an appreciation for like this this set of, of canonical texts, right? <laughs> of, of you know, of set texts from you know, whether that's Sabbath or Judas Priest or, you know, through to, to, to thrash and early death metal. Um, there's, there's, there's something going on there with, with ideas of, of canonicity metal, you know, quite, quite obviously has this, this deep fascination with um, like the pre-modern past. Um, and a lot of academic work on, on metal, is actually done by people in you know medieval studies or like classical mm. reception studies and um, what what interests me actually the stuff that I'm really most excited to write about is metal that is drawing on um, slightly less conventional literary sources or less less canonical um, literary sources and, and and metal that might be using kind of literary reference points or literary points of inspiration in slightly, slightly more kind of experimental or, or, or even kind of avant-garde ways, you know, and that, that's the stuff that, I, that I'm personally most interested in. 
Um, but uh, but that that relationship with the canon and with canonical lit and the the weird way in which metal is this art form kind of cast as you know an outsider form of music as a as a rebellious form of music sometimes even as you know as degenerate as I've said that is nonetheless kind of fascinated with these sort of prestigious uh, like high cultural reference points. Th those tensions are, are super interesting to me as a as, as a scholar, and also you know just in terms of how I live my own life, you know. So the, the kind of cult the cultural politics of that. It's always interesting to me, and I think Dylan and I talked about this maybe a little on, maybe just very briefly on our first episode with a guest, and that that was John Hoffman from. Weekend nachos and ledge and stomach and talking about this kind of, you know, in hip hop, if you're in the world of hip hop fans, I think one of the ways to kind of get to know a person um, is to ask them for their top five artists or top five rappers. Right. And I feel like a similar kind of way to orient yourself with someone else in this world uh, with wherein um metal and punk have have really congealed or or like annealed to one another um is um did you start with metal or punk right and how did that how did that progress and i think this is i first encountered that in like this podcast or youtube interview between I think it was Todd from Nails and Chase from Gate Creeper. Right, right. And and chasing their own trajectory from kids listening to X to adults making Y. Mm -hmm. um, Dylan, do you remember, were you a, I, I think you answered this to me before, but were you a metal kid or a punk kid? No, I was, um, I, I was, I was punk. Um, yeah, it was, it went, the, the trajectory was like uh just like punk to like punk to hardcore to uh more extreme stuff like power violence and and grind uh, i didn't i really did not give a shit about metal until i was an adult i liked thrash just because i love suicidal tendencies and then they toured with municipal waste in 2007 and that's pretty much how i started uh, really loving thrash but yeah sorry uh punk first but that's a good example. Those bands are like perfect examples of what I'm talking about, about the non-separate, non-separation between metal and punk. The crossover, you know, it's like it's yeah. where everybody it's where everybody can can happily meet in the middle. Um, we talk about the smoothie approach to music a lot on the podcast, too. And I think crossover is the earliest example of how you can pretty much make a, a really diverse crowd really happy really yeah. fast you know again like everyone from the chromags to suicidal to leeway i mean these are all fucking to this that's top tier shit as far as i'm concerned you know yeah yeah what about you sam well you know i guess the the stuff that that my my gateway into everything really um is sort of like 90s alt rock um mm -hmm. And yeah, in, ter in terms of in terms of sort of my in, in terms of you know my background, and the more I think about it, the the more kind of 
it's a complicated way into punk and metal, right? <laughs> um, because at first, like if, if you're encountering um, a lot of a lot of kind of early '90s bands who described themselves as 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 punk, who would then get kind of marketed as as, as grunge. Um, you know, I, I was sort of encountering that without much kind of understanding of ultimately, you know, the the, the kind of <laughs> the music that was building up over the decade prior to that point. You know, like like the the first time I heard Nirvana or Melvin's or Jesus Lizard or like you know, I didn't know who Black Flag were. Mm. If, if that makes sense, right? Yeah. Um, but then you know getting into melvin's was my way you know back into um uh, that era of punk and hardcore but that was also my way um actually interestingly into kind of you know the origins of metal like like i heard melvin's before i heard black sabbath i heard melvin's before um i heard kind of sludge and and doom or you know i hate god or you know what um so yeah and i Another really important band to me uh, were um, Mr. Bungle, mm. Mm. Um, which ultimately became a way. Actually, Bungle was really my way into like extreme music, um, yeah. and uh, that <laughs> Mr. Bungle was my way into death metal, into into black metal, uh, into into avant garde stuff. Um, into into all kinds of different music, actually, into you know soundtracks and um, that that really sort of you know as um, as embarrassing uh, and kind of cringe-inducing as that that first record might be, you know, um, in some respects, uh, that that is you know a hugely important record for me in terms of um, the the kind of pathways that it that it set me on. Um, but I, I guess you know, always on balance, I, I was metal before before punk. You know, like like um, my my favorite band when I was like eleven years old were you know was Megadeth. That was, <laughs> um, you know, that that, that was um, it, it, the, the foundation is is definitely has, has always been metal for me. Um, but then it it opens up and splinters and and diversifies and you know things bleed into one another. You know, over the course of your life and um uh you know a lot of shows that i go to now that might you know it might be a metal act that, that is marketed on on a poster but um the way in which that show is set up it very much feels like like a punk or or hardcore show and 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 that the you know, diy ethos that i'd associate socially progressive ethos that i'd associate with with punk and hardcore, I think happily is now um, much more kind of at home in in underground metal than than it might have been in the past. So. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think one thing too that like has like led to that greatly is um, there was, <laughs> I mean, there was still is, and I'm pretty sure always will be. There's always that wave of like kids who are like really into hardcore, and then you know somebody somewhere is like have you heard this entombed record and then it's like over <laughs> they're like the pipeline and but then so then like well they want to i want to make you know i want to make something that's uh, i want to make something that, that sounds more like that or sounds more metallic in some way shape or form but i only know how to do do shows and do tours and do bands from everything i learned in hardcore and i think that like you're seeing those like those trailheads kind of all all come come into one um 
uh, and again, normally I'm pretty negative about everything, but I actually think that that's, that's a good thing. Cause the one thing that's also noteworthy about people who have played in bands for a long time, who are like just strict, uh, strict, uh, metal, metal heads of often, yeah. they're often sometimes kind of like really difficult to be in a band with, or like, they're like absolute perfectionists about like the plane. But then when it's like, all right, well, here's how we book a tour. Here's how you hit up a record label. Here's how you, you know, here's how you set up in a room that doesn't have like a soundboard, like all those kind of stuff. They have no idea how to do it because they went to music school. Whereas like all the punks and the hardcore guys are like, what? Wait, what'd you go to music school for here? We're just going to set up in this storage unit. I'll show you, you know? <laughs> so it's a nice, happy, ha a happy marriage for the time being, despite both genres, absolute tribalism and uh, in some cases, hatred of one another. Sure. That's just as a side point as well. Like that, that's one of the kind of um, interesting things about metal to me again that kind of connects to these questions to do with kind of um how people define you know quote unquote high and quote unquote low culture and yeah. um, different sort of hierarchies and boundaries and the the way in which metal often involves this kind of really weird and, and quite unique collision between like conservatoire level of training and technicality yep with like an ultra kind of working class kind of wood shedding. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I think that I, yeah. Like, cause like the, you know, you're, you're, you have your metal elitists for sure, but it's like, it, it is, it's to me, it's humorous. Cause it's like, I, I, you know, I'm an elitist. We'll have to be like these like technically sound players, but like I wrote all these songs about like us drinking goat's blood um but <laughs> but then on the other side of the coin which like i think to me this is like the perfect connection like hard you know like no like most hardcore kids are gonna like again like they hear like they heard entombed or dismembered and they're like uh that uh okay this actually makes sense versus um i think a lot of the other alternatives they could find and i'll even take it one step further because there is there there's a huge pipeline between ex-hardcore kids or people with alkaline trio tattoos who are now in black metal bands mm. which again i i which again i'm i'm also guilty of finding black metal very late in life and the thing that the thing that drew me to it was was the guy was just like this is the logical conclusion of all extreme music in a lot of ways it's just mm. pure theatrics and in some cases downright just like just real life um violence or property destruction depending on which black metal situation you want to talk about sure so that's well, interesting because i no, go, sorry you go ahead sam no 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 please have you first because i was just thinking about how far that brand of metal is from like a punk mentality um until you started talking about property destruction and real violence. And I was like, that sounds really like punk to me. Um, Dude, it's like, again, like, you know, because like punk and hardcore is limited. It's just culture war. That's all we can do. Yeah. Most people in hardcore and punk bands are, are, are kind of from the suburbs and they have stake in the game, so to speak. They have normal jobs. Some like most of us are starting to become homeowners, you know, mm -hmm. like, so to, to see like, hey, here's this genre that, like, is not just full of shit. Like, they actually are going to go put some bricks through windows. So, to me, as somebody who is addicted to extremes, that's that's sexy. I want to know more, you know? What's interesting to me is, and Sam will be in a... This is maybe to trace back to what we started with with Sam, 
Um, to me, and this is a generalization, but American metal and and metal from Europe, um, I feel like American metal is largely philosophically and and in terms of its aesthetic more punk um it if it's if it's like more canonical metal it's kind of tongue-in-cheek like um a band like haunt um which is a great band and they sound like they're from 30 years ago um really skillful but it's kind of like isn't it funny that we're playing this um, I mean, it's it's very fun, and they don't they're not self serious about it, and I get the impression they it's kind of like a municipal waste uh, atmosphere, um, where it's like we're here to have fun, we're very good at our instruments, these songs are really catchy, um, but we're we don't really believe in dragons, um, right? Where it, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I feel like Europe metal and everybody in American death metal, at least, is like all camo shorts and vans. For real. Which, which is like 90s punk aesthetic. Whereas I feel like European metal is still like big platform shoes, um, tight jeans. This is, again, generalizing, but I feel like that American uh, DIY rebellious anti-establishment um uh, those principles are manifesting in that as well unless they're like i feel like if they dress up with the corpse paint and vests and and stuff um it's kind of if they take it seriously nobody else is Mm -hmm. right i don't know what do you think sam as as somebody who because I don't see Brit- uh, European metal bands that often. Sure, yeah, I, I, it, it is difficult. I think, and um, like anything, I, I'd say here will be inevitably like like a huge generalization on, on on some level. But I think I think there's a divide there in terms of like especially if you think about metal as a form of music that that has some kind of relationship to like ultimately to to romanticism mm. right? and uh and that has some kind of relationship to uh like folk traditions uh, of various kinds real and imagined uh serious and 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 ludicrous um sinister or, or or sublime you know like, like i i think there's there's definitely you know there are tendencies in european metal whereby you know that that kind of relationship to to some kind of notion of um of of folklore to uh to to to, to heritage tradition to to land and landscape is is played out you know in in a in a, in a different context to, to how it has in, in, in the States, I think. Um, and yeah, thinking of, <laughs> thinking of the specific dynamics of, of, of US history um, and uh, the, the US as, you know, it's settler colonial origins. Um, I, I think that kind of sets up ultimately going really deeply, you know, that, that sets up um, metal 
on on a different path i think you know uh, us bands are maybe kind of responding to different types of mythologies mm. you know, in in in, in uh, the the kind of operate in in the culture in, in different ways compared to to how um, metal might typically um do that in in um in europe and i mean if if you think about like literary or sort of genre influences on on metal you know us metal bands are far more likely to be drawing on you know stephen king or hp lovecraft um whereas you know european metal bands you know you're never that far away from the shadow of tolkien or something <laughs> or something like that right so um yeah that that that's maybe one way of kind of encapsulating it from from my perspective again you know huge huge generalization but you but you're you're definitely onto something there and um and i think the role of kind of irony in metal as one well, the, the the way in which a lot of metal actually really kind of complicates the distinction between irony and sincerity mm. um is you know that's that's a really fascinating topic like the the knowingness of of uh, of certain types of, of metal and its kind of theatrical excesses yeah it's funny when you were talking about metal as these kinds of uh other manifestations of metal as being sublime or sinister mm. and I, I can't remember the other kind of binaries you provided but it kept making me picture ozzy sabbath dio sabbath Right, slides <laughs> to that coin. <laughs> I think Iomi pulled Dio aside at some point and said, "You need to stop writing about rainbows. This is Black Sabbath." Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, I, absolutely. I think. I think. I think that works as well. And I mean, look, you know, you get you get so many micro distinctions though as well. Like, is that you know, in the UK, um, a lot of you know. European power metal, for example, is not traditionally um, played that well in, in, a, in a UK context. You know, whereas you know a, a, a band that might um, be able to sell out a stadium in Germany or Sweden or Estonia um, is playing, you know, a, a relatively small venue in in London or Manchester. Hmm. um well those all those those dynamics are, are, are changing too i think like that 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 picture is maybe not quite as as clear as it as it once was i, I really i like that that aussie to dio transition that that kind of tells you a lot i think yeah i um just to just so i don't not contribute to the question that i asked um not to backtrack us too much but i started um uh, when I started guitar lessons, my guitar teacher, I was 11, I guess, or 10, and my guitar teacher really just wanted to teach me Sabbath songs. Uh, and eventually, he was also very into hair metal, so I eventually started learning like Dawkins and and um, and Ozzy's solo stuff and so on. Um, so that was me learning metal first and liking metal first. And that was also around the time, um, I guess, mid-90s, where I went to a Catholic school and had at that point really accepted and embraced my lack of inclusion into right. my like kind of uh, relatively preppy school atmosphere where at the time it was a lot of 
Tommy and Polo and Nautica and these were the and I wasn't wearing that stuff. I Sounds like a hardcore show now. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was wearing whatever TJ Maxx provided me. And um uh and so I was like, okay, I've tried and failed to like integrate, so I'm gonna go the opposite way. And what was popular then at that time, um and into high school was like pop punk. I mean, it oh. sounds topical, but Blink-182 was kind of the the thing. And CKY was coming out and people were really into that. And um, I and uh, whatever, like Boy Sets Fire and some of these like it, people who were really like into it, into it, like people like drummers I played with at that time mm -hmm. um, had kind of a more diverse view of these types of punk. But it was still all branded in my mind as pop punk um and i had no patience for it um i associated it with polo shirts and like the duck hairstyle mm -hmm. mm. i don't know if anybody remembers that but where like the front bangs are flipped up and everything's gelled back that that, um, that crossed the atlantic as well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and i i rejected it completely and so i had zero patience for punk which is funny because my dad grew, raised me listening to like a lot of proto-punk like Perubu and also a lot of industrial like ministry and I'm shorts into Neubotten. Wow. So wow. You'd, you'd think and, and swans and, and, you know, you'd think I'd have an ear for it. Um, but I was really about educating myself on metal and mm. it was not until, I don't know, enough bands that were, towing the line of metal and punk that I kind of I don't know if I've shifted I tend to listen to more punk than metal now but um, it took a lot of these bands that emerged um, on on labels like A389 um, and on Death Wish and stuff for me to kind of cross that divide or that, that imaginary non-existent divide and um, then be fully sold on punk. Um, I think, you know, that I've been trying to think of the band that actually kind of took me into punk and hardcore, um, you know, beyond that kind of wave of, of like sort of early 90s alt rock, noise rock. And um, it was prob probably Napalm Death, actually. And that, that, that they were a band for me that, again you know sort of opened up all kinds of different doors because you know they are you know very simultaneously a metal band and a punk band um, right they kind you can a lot of early napalm death you can even kind of conceive of as like avant-garde music right like, mm -hmm. like you know mick harris was like guesting with john zorn right which right. <laughs> incredible you know like and um and they sort of had a presence on like British TV as well, like 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 kind of really unbelievably considering the the, the type of music that um, that they were making. And um, yeah, I, I I think grind and and Napalm Death specifically was really important to me in terms of figuring out how these worlds could kind of intersect um, and and kind of cross pollinate and enrich each other and. Um, uh, 
yeah, and 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 how they could actually become something something else as well in in their own right. So. Yeah, I've always kind of conceptualized grindcore, although it's kind of become this purified on its own genre. But it's to me, it's always been essentially fast metal with punk ethics. Hmm. When you say it, I know we'd say exactly when you say it like that, though, it sounds it, it, it sounds infinitely less dangerous than I think a lot of the purists would want you to believe. <laughs> How would they describe it? I mean, purist grindcore to me right now is one of the most gatekept subgenres. If I'm judging st strictly by like comment sections, um, uh, let them honestly let honestly let let them have it. Boring next, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, how would you how would you describe it, or how would you think that they would want to describe it if that description isn't like cutting the mustard or whatever the idiom? No, is? It, it it cuts the mustard. It's a good description. I just think that, like I I, uh, I can already picture one of them listening to this and they're like, oh no, that's not it. Like because I think that there is the illusion that with I get with with grindcore specifically and 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 people in death metal bands with no sense of humor um there is the illusion that you're doing something so much more profound or so much more actually provocative than you are um if you remember a while back there was the trend of calling your live show a ritual uh, <laughs> luckily oh, yeah. this is this is the one time where i'm like glad that language actually shapes reality and that we're all just kind of like stuck in that forever because that got memed out of society very quickly everyone's just started making fun of it and no one ever talked about it again in a positive way but um i just no, love the idea because i've seen some of those shows rather recently and they don't haven't called it a ritual but it has all the markets of one Oh baby, it's a ritual. Um, but uh, and and it, I just love the idea of somebody with like a hood with a like sheer black face mask within the hood that they probably got a party city or paper warehouse. Um, uh, asking for their drink tickets or like I love that. <laughs> <laughs> again and I think like I think that again like a lot of a lot of grindcore, a lot of metal. Uh, people in bands not all of them certainly but a lot of them have like really become more self-aware like you look at a band like midnight that is completely self-aware that it's, sure, it's, yeah. it's intentionally silly but it just fucking kicks the shit out of most bands you put it up against like yeah, yeah. yeah like, I, like i can absolutely picture athenar going up to the bar in full gear being like with like no accent or anything and be like hey can i get my drink tickets yeah thank you. <laughs> you know like i love it like that guy rules but um yeah i think that I think that with grind purists, there is this like, again, there is an element of like, this is noise, not music. And we're trying to like do something uniquely subversive. We're at we're, we're not trying to run parallel to pop culture, like all the hardcore bands do, like all the thrash metal bands do. And like now all the death metal bands do, which again, like think we talk about blue check mark hardcore and death metal and uh, thrash. I mean, it's that's all there. Whereas with grind, the goal is to, I think, sometimes subvert away from that. But um it, to, to to really know no avail I, I don't think you can insulate yourself um from the the reins of of the culture machine so yeah i also i mean there's just um just thinking over uh, some of the things that have like really 
grabbed me this year actually as well like, like some of my some of my favorite music I, you could describe as as grindcore i don't know if if um like i love the the uh escuela grind album i think is, is fabulous and um the like worm rot record as well i think mm -hmm. is really incredible um but yeah so there's there's still like extraordinary creativity there i think but um once you get into the weeds as to you know what kind of constitutes grind vis-a-vis -vis power violence or what you know i i start to kind of check out at that point a little bit so I think rightfully so rightfully so. <laughs> i think it's like for metal fan and that's now that i feel like is kind of a metal trait that has become a thing in, in punk circles which is like equivocating over whether the genre hashtags are accurate right <laughs> go on say more because metal fans are super into is this blackened sludge or is this like sludgy black metal or is this like you know um uh post grind neo folk or is this you know um you know these are these are or, you know whether the the genre title is the prefix describing that whether this thing is founded in grind like yeah. is is thou a black metal band or a sludge band is a you know a lot of people will say it's like blackened sludge um jesus uh, <laughs> which is a very visual descriptor i bet i bet there are people I, I bet there are kind of i bet there are disputes about like what constitutes authentic troll metal you know like like as, <laughs> as for, you know which kind of like troll mythology is the most kind of appropriate oh yeah you, you know like I, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure there that you know there are these kind of like micro controversies where the, these things are just so intensely kind of policed and renegotiated and you know it's not the bands doing it I mean it's never the bands it now, is almost it is almost there. always incredibly lazy music journalists like sludge in of itself is a term that if you're a genre purist and you're using the term sludge up on your high horse like congratulations someone at the new york times coined that when they saw i hate god 30 years ago and didn't know what the fuck to call it so like i don't know about that one you know i feel like i mean since to continue with the thou example they probably barely call themselves metal yeah, absolutely they're all like more legit anarchists than almost every punk musician i know you know mm -hmm. they're all working at these co-op bookstores in anarchist co-op bookstores and record stores in like baton rouge and new orleans and uh probably never play metal uh in their touring van it's probably all like um john Baez or something <laughs> which is not i mean i love what they do it's just i think that they they have a sense of humor about what they do that a lot of their fans don't seem to share right Right. Yeah. Speaking as a fan who who takes their art form seriously, but also loves how self-effacing and, and kind of ironic they are about all of it. Yeah, no, they're a like they're a special band for 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 that precisely that reason. I think like but for the balance that they kind of strike there. So. Yeah. I would. I'm curious to know um, as you i mean i don't know how much you want to give away about the kind of thesis of 
the book you're working on, but can you elaborate on a little of, of what you're hoping to argue or um, explore in that? Yeah, no, of, of course. And um, I guess a big part of it is I'm sort of interested in the, the importance of the distinction between uh, the literary with a capital L and you know what is called quote unquote genre writing um because when it when it comes to metal and genre writing like we, we've touched on this a bunch of times already there's there's actually a really like well-established feedback loop right you you know i i i don't know how many song metal songs have been written inspired by some aspect of lovecraft or you know <laughs> Um, I mean, it must be in the many thousands mm -hmm. at this point. And, um, you know, right the way through to, um, you know, like the guy from Revocation writing like Lovecraftian metal songs that also kind of, you know, quote Cornell West and like implicitly sort of answer back to Lovecraft's racism or, you know, there's mm -hmm. the, the, the Finnish band uh, Abhorrence use Lovecraft as a way of kind of processing questions about climate change and, and and the notion of um like hyper objects there's all the you know the, the tolkien stuff stephen king frank herbert you know sci-fi fantasy horror rpgs comics gaming like the the there's a really strong overlap there in terms of you know reading listening and watching there's overlaps in terms of fan communities these are these are mutually enriching and and you often You'll often find, you know, sci-fi or, or horror writers um, are, are metal fans. Will post kind of, you know, Spotify playlists of, you know, metal tracks that they write to or that have inspired their work in in some way. But with metal and the literary, it's that asymmetry that that I'm drawn to, like like the fact that it's like an unrequited love affair. So that that that's part of my kind of you know, foundational thesis that metal is obsessed with the literary, but the literary doesn't love metal back. You know? mm. Mm. Um, and even, you know, the rock novel is, is um, a kind of actually established, um, you know, subgenre in like, you know, it's in, in contemporary fiction, especially in, in, in the U S and um, you know, people, DeLillo and Jennifer Egan and, um, you know, there's, there, there are all kinds of examples, but, you know, no, no, very few literary writers uh, engage with metal in a, in a direct way. Very few literary writers um, uh, would, would sort of identify themselves as, as metal fans. You know, there, there are exceptions, really interesting exceptions, but, um, but they're, they're, they're rare. Um, so that, that's kind of at the foundation of the project. Beyond that, what I'm what I'm trying to do is take um, particular writers and then use certain writers um, as as ways of kind of tracking the orbit of, of particular experiments, particular ideas, um, claims and counterclaims on you know on the legacy of, of certain writers. Uh, so that there's going to be a chapter where you know Burroughs for example, is at the, is at the center of, um, you know, what I'm doing in, in, in that particular section of the book. 
looking at you know cut up ideas of of, of transgression genre blending um you know queer subtexts of, of of course um you know looking at direct ways in which burroughs's techniques have influenced metal musicians but but also um thinking about that kind of more more broadly um and talking about edgar rice burroughs right uh no 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 william <laughs> <laughs> uh of, yeah so uh tarzan was all about uh queer cut-ups yeah <laughs> heroin addiction yeah uh and like jr uh from from pig destroyer is is uh like an important um figure in in in, in that work someone I've, I've already interviewed for a for a shorter piece um there's going to be a chapter on um on cormac mccarthy and uh you know visions of of, of the frontier um, mm -hmm. frontier violence um, in in metal, looking at bands from inside and outside the U.S., so you've got a, a like really run to the hills. Sorry, that sounds like a uh, run to the hills by Maiden. Sure. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean that that casts a shadow there for for sure. And um, but you know, McCarthy uh, is. I mean, it's actually described a few years ago as like like a kind of. A, um, an unacknowledged like patron saint of of uh, of like contemporary metal, um, mm. and not not just in terms of you know lyrics and and, and imagery, um, but you know Stephen O'Malley from Sun claims to have been inspired by um, McCarthy's kind of weird syntax and and grammar, and and you know took that as a kind of reference point for what he started doing with the the black sabbath riff mm. and, wow. and that, you know starting to kind of explode open you know the, the grammar if you like of, of of the riff into these kind of you know pulsing drones and waves and um so it's you know not not just in terms of lyrics and imagery but actually trying to get into um you know sort of musicology there in terms of the, the relationship between like metal composition and and the written word um but I'm, I'm going to be looking at, at, at a lot of a lot of different material. Um, I'm hoping to write on um, oceans of slumber in relation to, to ideas of uh, like new black gothic um, and uh, you know Afrofuturism in relation to uh, Vernon Reed uh, and uh, and and his relationship to James Baldwin too. You know. Um, and uh, there'll be a, a chapter on um, on poetics uh, and uh, and the influence of Sylvia Plath um, on uh, on kind of contemporary metal lyricists. Um, mm -hmm. Some of the so the interview that I've that I've done already with the Cat Cats will be the the kind of like starting point for that. Um, wow. So yeah, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty expansive project. It goes in a lot of different directions, but um, you know, five or six chapters clustered around. Yeah, held together by by focus on a particular writer or set of writers and then exploring how different types of you know heavy musicians um have have responded to that material and kind of made it their own or you know transformed it in some way yeah plath there's a i just recently did a review of a split between bastard noise and demonologists and one of the demonologists songs uh actually most of them feature a vocalist 
who goes by Mouth Wound, and one of the songs is inspired by or integrates Plath quotes. Oh wow! Okay, all right. I, I'm. I have to note this down. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's Crowd, uh, crowdsourcing. Yeah, you're you're go, you're going in the acknowledgement seven. That's great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have been wanting to kind of uh, talk about this for a second, Sam, just because I know that it's a central part of your work, but can you say a little bit more about the kind of like the new frontier in relation to like political violence and also how you're going to be incorporating uh, extreme music in, into that? Uh, th th this is, yeah, this is, I feel like this is my, my favorite type of stuff to talk about. I, I was, yeah, really hoping to get your thoughts and uh, pick your brain on it. Sure. Well, so there's like on one level, I'm I'm interested in how um, you know some of the the mythologies of the frontier that that are in themselves you know violent or you know thinking about the the, the Western, but that you know with a grim kind of irony are actually covering over you know real historical violence. If if, if that makes sense, you know. Um, that that's the sort of tension that that interests me in terms of how um metal kind of engages with uh images of the frontier with um with the history of the west specifically like thinking here about you know about about cormac mccarthy um i'm interested in groups like like wayfarer for instance there and um when it comes to when it comes to the kind of contemporary politics of, of, of the frontier, um, then I suppose, you know, that that'll be the point in the project where, um, where I really kind of have to, to, to confront, um, you know, what, what is often like politically disastrous in, in, in metal as well, you know, for, for all the ways in, in which um, metal, you know, does offer us all kinds of creative and, 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 and progressive ways of, of thinking about, a whole variety of different issues for all the ways in which metal gives us, you know, catharsis and um, and, and 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 in a strength and, and and solace for all the ways in which it can be kind of community building and you know, um, like metal in itself kind of erects plenty of boundaries, right? You know, and and um, uh, the kind of you know policing um, metaphorically that's that's part of um, um metal communities and and the kind of you know the canonization of metal um is something i think i'd like like to to relate actually to um uh, you know to, to to what it means to kind of actually police borders um maybe there's also stories there about kind of the the, the globalization of, of of metal you know metal is so is often so kind of attuned to um, you know to to region and to, to to a sense of place and you know and that can be that can be one of the the most beautiful things about metal but but it can also be one of the most kind of toxic and and, and problematic and you know those those ties to um, you know blood and soil ideologies uh, that, that that run through metal and not you know they're they're not there by by accident you know and they they, they keep on recurring for for a reason um so i yeah through through my research I'd, I'd hope on some level uh to to address those kinds of issues and and to start 
um, exploring how 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 metal itself might might help us to kind of actually think through or think beyond uh, some of that. Does that does that make sense? I, I hope I wasn't rambling too much, but uh, no, I think. I, I think that made sense. And at least from what I'm, what I'm gathering is like, this is, you know, looking at the genre and all of its, of course, respective subgenres and seeing kind of those, like the seeds that have been planted to where like, you've got everything from, from bands that are, uh, would, we would classify as politically progressive. We would classify as maybe even in some cases, apolitical, or in some mm -hmm. cases we would talk about as being, um, politically more on, on the side of fascism and how the same yeah. genre and how the same uh, kind of like how, how the same exposure to various like literature, cultural signifiers in their region might lead you to different sets of, of politics. Or in, in some cases, if you're just like a band that kind of just like sings about like kind of like dragons and fantasy, maybe none at all, or maybe something along those lines is, is kind of what I was taking from what you were saying. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But I, I think it's um, like a, there'll be a specific focus on um, on the U.S. frontier, on 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 how that history has been processed and and, and mythologized and, and and written about, and how metal musicians respond to that, and you know the, the history of the West. But then this kind of this broader sense of like of frontiers of various kinds you know like, like pol political frontiers and um okay sonic frontiers so okay 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 okay. that makes sense now it's all i think okay i think i've got a big a better picture now that makes sense yeah yeah so yeah two like two different levels i i i guess there like and um but it of all the times to um you know, to, to write about um frontiers um you know given uh given what's happening in in both of our countries you know and then this has been happening for a long time in in, in many respects but um th that's something i want to be kind of attentive to so. yeah no, no time like the present <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's interesting. Sure. It's, you're helping me to understand some stuff a little bit because i've i've it, just in order to categorize and I think it, I have unfairly generalized, but um, I think of as with grindcore as a good example of this, and with crossover also as a good example of this. Um, I think that something that distinguishes metal and punk, even when they sound like one another, for me at least, is when I decide to put them. Maybe this is where the deciding which prefix is appropriate based on what the sub the solid core genre is being um, is the lyrical content. And I find that if this is I'm probably cherry picking, but um, I feel like punk th themes are about questioning power structures hmm. um local and global and metal themes are about embodying them like i think I, I i think that metal is often about assuming the role sometimes kind of as a as, as an aspect of fantasy 
of being in a position of power. Um, whereas punk is about kind of dissolving those. This is, what do you think? That's probably unfair generalization, but what do you think, Sam? Sure, it's a generalization, but there's there's something to that. And actually, like, I mean, just with the that kind of backdrop of um, the, the, the American frontier and everything that we were talking about previously, you know, thinking about the importance of like a kind of iconoclastic, masculine, rugged individualism in metal. You know, and, and um, you know, metal's often quite suspicious of um, the collective. Mm. Right? Like, you know, it, uh, metal's often kind of, you know, contemptuous of like of collective or communal experiences in terms of like, you know, th thematics, right, and, and, and imagery. And, um, you know, often suspicious of authority and, and, and government on, on some level, like, um, cynically nihilistically but you know a, a lot of metal is, is sort of underpinned by this um a kind of like a celebration of like the, the rugged individual and and, mm. and a, a celebration of like a certain kind of of strength and i mean of course that's like you know it's screamingly fucking obvious and ridiculous with like you know man of war or something <laughs> but right. um but in in you know that's often there in 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 much more kind of subtle ways i think um it, it, it's uh yeah it, it's it's a motif that metal comes back to uh like 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 time and again like the, the power you know the power of uh, of the you know the lone rugged individual kind of you know battling their way like you know self-actualizing in in some way yeah. oh it's it, the one thing that i always think about with what you yeah, Sam, I, I, I think that that's pretty much the most accurate analysis. So much of metal um, can be traced back to like these like figures like Anton LaVey and Aleister Crowley, who like when you really break it down, we're just like really big fans of Ayn Rand and just kind of like nothing more than libertarians. <laughs> sure. And sure. like, yeah. And like this, this is where sometimes we're like, you, you know, you go to a metal show and you hear something that you know, burns your eardrums because it's so not politically correct. You can't believe you're hearing it. I always blame this. This is, I, I'm always just write it off. It's like, ah, a bunch of libertarians in battle vests. I'm not even going to worry about it, you know? <laughs> but um, yeah, sorry. I just, I, ha I had to throw that cherry on top there. It all goes back to Atlas Shrugged. It's bizarre. Um, it's something that I've never been able to fully articulate, but that is my, my uh, amateur uh, theory on, on the situation. <laughs> My, my god i bet actually there's there's like a there's a hidden story there about you know the 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 ayn rand is some kind of like hidden hinge in in the sort of thematic development of like particular kinds of metal at least mm. or like, like you, I, I really think you could actually trace that through like like a, you know it's dressed up in occultism or you know exactly as you said like you know do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law and so on as you know but um but there, there, there is there is a kind of a, a libertarian ethos to, uh, to 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 a lot of metal. I think that 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 like really persists as well. Um, it's you know it's still that's still like you know quite a, like a powerful force uh, at, at least thematically within metal today. So 
Yeah. Also, it makes the satanic panic of the 80s seem like infinitely less threatening. Like if they're like, it's the socially liberal, fiscally conservative panic of the 80s, you know, like <laughs> it just doesn't have the same ring to it. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, that's yeah, it, it does. It sort of makes me laugh, really, the, the way in which metal has been cast as, you know, as ignorant, as, as de degenerate, as, as satanic, as this kind of corrosive influence on 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 the young. But there is, you know, there's a there is a deeply conservative element within metal. Yeah, that, that's that's been there for a long time so. yeah um it's it it's uh it, it is eternally one of the easiest punching bags we have and i think it's like really funny too because you'd think again it's somebody who's been more into like more into punk and hardcore my whole life i'm always just like we are way gnarlier than they are what the <laughs> fuck dude why are they always getting all the cool news stories yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you need cakes that's you know Dude, for real, I know, honestly, I know. We're going to go back to the drawing board after this. Uh, but anyway, Evan, I know you want to say something. I'm sorry, I just, I have, I, I ne never miss an opportunity to bring up how Ayn Rand has completely ruined all elements of our society. <laughs> I, I shared a tweet the other day um, that said uh, we should start calling Ayn Rand fans, instead of objectivists, we should be calling them shruggalos. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think, I'm, hope, I'm hoping that'll stick. But, um but I think that that helps me a lot with my contextualization of like the where punk ends and, and, and metal begins where it's, it's, and I'm going to try and follow this thread through, but it feels like maybe uh, metal is more uh, individualistic and punk is more collectivistic Um because and I also feel I maybe this is contradicting what I just said, but I feel like there's something kind of and this isn't a criticism. It's 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 part of, I think, why um, metal is such a good catharsis and also an escape. But I feel like a lot of metal because of its uh, adherence or integration of lore um, and, and storytelling, mm. um, it's not especially personal uh with some like notable exceptions where you've got i mean most of the time the exceptions are kind of ballads like i know that on the great southern trend kill there's some like uh really heartfelt ballads and mm. um uh, what is it uh maybe on a couple of the after post haircut Metallica songs, albums have some kind of ballads that are a little bit more personal or thinking, Oh, fade to black. It's kind of, but um, I, I think of punk as much more immediate current topical and um, actionable. Totally. I mean, and you know, metal songs can be, metal songs might be dealing with like you know i don't know like the concept of time or something <laughs> like or yeah things. right yeah like or the d decay over millennia and you know the kind of like that that sense of like like a kind of cosmic scale sometimes yeah so, yeah that's really important to, to metal that's also connected to some of its literary and kind of genre or pulp um connections as well or and, and influences um but yeah like that 
I mean, of course, there are all kinds of counterexamples, like, 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 you know, metal can deliver, you know, has delivered plenty of that kind of, you know, personalized or sort of street level, uh, you know, embodied grit, like, uh, uh, over the years. And, but, but I, I think there is that emphasis on a kind of scale, sometimes, even, you know, beyond the human. Yeah. Um, and that, that also might be one of the ways in, in which metal, is is a form of music that that may ultimately be kind of useful for engaging with things like uh you know climate change or something where you know where, where questions of, of scale present us with um you know kind of incredible um sort of imaginative challenges again. but um but but in terms of you know like the po the politics that we're we're talking about here then you know punk definitely definitely tends to have like that a different emphasis like it would be very hard for me to imagine crack the sky being produced by a punk band right <laughs> here's a we're gonna we're gonna have one and a half minute songs about time traveling to like save the zarina uh, yeah. anastasia and and integrate and interact with rasputin from our hospital bed um yeah that that's definitely a metal thing or like uh was it the ocean had that concept album pelagial mm. where each song is a another like layer of the ocean's depth and that that layer is being reflected in the darkness and and slowness and heaviness of the music itself as the as the album progresses that's a metal thing not a punk thing it's high concept where yeah. punk is like much more here's what's happening in my neighborhood here's what's happening between me and my friends here's what's happening politically mm. and here's why we're pissed about it um yeah again it's hard because it all requires so much generalization and especially it's hard because now the the separation behind between the genres is essentially is really not necessary and it maybe even non-existent I, th I think with festival culture, um, it's it's certainly blurred the lines. Like, for example, like Psycho Las Vegas. I mean, like last year's lineup was one of the best I've just ever seen, period, for any fest ever. Mm. Um, they had you had every you had everything from like, you know, from like nothing to Warthog to like, I think TSOL played. And then I think like, of course, like, uh, fuck, who was the headliner? Oh, it was like Wolves in the Throne Room. So it's like this is incredible. Like, that's an incredible dichotomy of bands. Um, one essential caveat too, I also wanted to add with the, the rugged individualism, like, I think that, uh, like punk and eighties hardcore has the more collectivist, like, here's my 32nd song about, you know, Reagan and why we're not really a big fan of the neoliberal era we're entering or Thatcher for that matter. Um, but, uh, New York hardcore kind of regroups and and brings back this like rugged individualist mentality not That's again not, not because not because these guys are all big fans of Ayn rand or, or anything like that although i'm sure some of them are now uh but it, 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 because it is it, this authentic music like literally from the streets of of new york um, city and of course rugged individualism is going to be an appealing set of uh kind of uh, an appealing worldview for somebody who's who's come from that kind of a background 
yeah no that that's that, that that's a great point like it does it does that can kind of manifest itself in in different ways in punk and hardcore like for different reasons and and, and it ends with with nyc hardcore right like that that's sociological yeah right like, like <laughs> it, re it really is yeah yeah no, that's that's a great point yeah it's funny the way you describe these tenets of of metal as rugged individualism um those to me to, uh and there there are examples of this in british literature but those are kind of hmm, i feel like those are more tenets that uh historically american mythology has hung its hat on um and especially in the cold war as an antithesis to any soviet art forms um i think you and i may have spoken about this briefly when we mm. first connected about uh kind of the movement in modern american literature that was mm, not necessarily engineered but selectively supported in the kind of mfa programs of the u.s sure. uh, to, to emphasize solipsism and individualism mm -hmm. as an antithesis to the collectivism of Soviet literature and the Soviet art forms, similar yeah. to, to the like uh, emphasis on uh, abstract art uh, as something that could be uh, an antithesis to what was then, I think, required to be representative art in the Soviet world. Yeah. Um, uh, so I think if we could is there something especially since you have that your expertise is uh is an emphasis on american literature is there something oh. thematically but is there something thematically american about metal then because I, yeah there, I, examples are like james fenimore cooper and stuff who also had this rugged individualism but i i i think i think there is actually and um Yes, like there, there are all kinds of ways in which you can tie the sort of roots of metal back to kind of European romanticism. But 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 I think the way in which a lot of those romantic ideas get kind of transfigured and, and, and remade in a US context. And then ultimately, you know, with your example of the, the, the Cold War era and, and you know, particular types of, of, of art and storytelling that they get kind of you know, valorized and, and, you know, literally funded by, by the CIA, right? Like, like, right. Quite, quite yeah. um, there's, there are ways in which, you know, for all, for all the ways in which American literature is this incredibly rich repository of, of, you know, of critique, right. Of, of you know, what, um, what's called, you know, naysaying and you know, cr chronicling, trauma and, and 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 violence and and alienation and um uh, u.s literature on one level has kind of um has functioned at least historically as as a kind of um as a sort of imperial projection you know the the, the way in which american literature has been exported around the world you know uh, uh, american literature in terms of you know soft power right and um that that i think has kind of you know left its left its mark and um 
you know, a lot of the bands that I'm going to write about when it comes to the sort of frontier and, you know, Western section of, of, of the book are, are European bands, you know, who are kind of responding to these kind of, you know, US mythologies and in some cases critically, in some cases, um, in some cases not, you know, some cases adding to them in, in interesting ways. But um, yeah, the, the, the cultural influence of of the us and the, the ways in which a certain kind of model of, of rugged individualism gets kind of sold to the rest of the world uh and, and you know get gets gets exported and you know processed through through literature of course like most powerfully through through film you know through 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 hollywood through the you know that that culture industry and, and kind of dream machine um like I think, I, I think that that has a huge influence on how metal develops inside and and outside of the U.S. Mm. Yeah, most most definitely, I think. Yeah, it's interesting to think about the consequences of metal as a cultural export. Well, and <laughs> it, I mean, metal is a cultural export of, uh, you know, famously of a lot of European countries as well, you know, like, like right. the, these stories now of, you know, the whole, when things inevitably kind of come full circle where like, you know, Necro Butcher from Mayhem is, is meeting like Norwegian diplomats uh, who are, you know, kind of being briefed on the, the cultural significance of, of, of Norwegian black metal, you know, like after all that, you know those years of, of panic and and infamy. Um, you know suddenly you've got something now that's been, you know been absorbed into a, a a culture industry or been you know been kind of turned into heritage in some way uh, or or an idea of heritage. Um, so yeah, like you know metal as a cultural export is is obviously not um, not exclusive to, um, uh, to 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 the U.S. But but I think that. The impact of U.S. culture and, and 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 American power, you know, is is really kind of crucial to to understanding um, how metal develops and, and and understanding a lot of its key themes. That's now here's another dynamic that I'm interested in with the mainstreaming, even political mainstreaming. Apparently, I, I I'm not sure that I knew that about Necro Butcher or, or the. I mean, it makes sense, especially because of the prevalence of, of, of specific types of metal bands in Scandinavia. Mm. Um, I think you've, I'm sure you've seen that population map of like number of metal <laughs> yeah. bands in these yeah. <laughs> Finland and, and Norway and so on. Um, but um, also in terms of that being a cultural product that is kind of proudly Norwegian or, or proudly Scandinavian. Oh, um, but I'm also interested in, in the fact that metal and punk still, I think culturally take a lot of pride in being a subculture and, and, um, an underground, uh, mm. that is, that exists in antithesis to the mainstream and my and punk, especially, I'm sure this happens in metal as well, where you'll essentially abandon a large swath of your fan base by by getting that blue check mark or by by um 
showing on showing up on Letterman or whatever. As soon as as soon as you have been integrated into the mainstream, you've abandoned in the eyes of some fans certain aspects of the founding principles of the of the genre yeah whether that's true or not it seems to be the perception um and because selling out is a sin it's a just yeah. a grievous uh uh betrayal um so what do you make of that in terms of these cultural artifacts being integrated because they're they're cultural artifacts that have been around enough and have become prevalent enough that they influence the mainstream culture. And when you've got people who grew up listening to punk, playing punk, sleeping on punk couches, becoming college professors, like a lot of the people we yeah, yeah. we talk to started out as these little skater kids or something. Yeah. Um, and now they're part of the establishment, which is not a criticism. It just means that you get enough kids who had certain cultural aspects of their childhood that they still have. Um, and then they are integrated into the adult world. Um, what does that mean for the genre if the genre is definitively countercultural? Yeah. What well, you know, it's wow. Where do I even start? Like, I mean, that's such a brilliant question, and and it's something. <laughs> it's something I, I I think about all the time as well. I'm actually, you know, one of the one of the writers that that I'm. Um, I guess I'm, I'm best known in, in niche <laughs> uh, US lit circles, in academic circles for my, for my work on, on um, this novelist Thomas Pynchon, right? Who through his whole career is, is constantly coming back to these questions about um, what it means to be underground, what it means to forge a counterculture, uh, you know, ethically, politically, practically, imaginatively um how to kind of you know resist the worst excesses of selling out whilst also kind of recognizing that of course we are all sort of like hopelessly kind of bound up in the mega machine uh that, that we are all somehow kind of complicit and you know how to like how to find a home within institutions um especially for you know for someone like Pynchon who um has clearly throughout his career shown a lot of sympathies towards sort of anarchist perspectives. Right? And the, those, those questions are, are part of the story of punk and, and metal as well. Um, and I, I'm, uh, yeah, I, I wonder, I, I wonder if we're kind of designed to, to sort of live, um, live in a kind of, you know, tension there, um, where, you know, we sort of, we have to accept on, on, on some level that anything and everything, you know, will be kind of commodified, uh, with, with, you know, with the current frameworks that, that, that we're living in. Um, but at the same time, there's always kind of capacity to like, to carve out space. Right, you know, whether you're talking about physical space for, for communities for performance, uh, or whether you're talking about you know a kind of imaginative space, if you like, um, that there's yeah there's there's some kind of you know dialectic there between kind of you know incorporation and and resistance, um, or or uh, or looking at it in another way, some kind of um, 
uh, like intertwined lines of flight, or you know, I don't know, you know, whatever, whatever kind of critical theoretical metaphor you you you, you want to use. Um, but that that's you know that's something that kind of haunts me actually. <laughs> you know, these the, these questions about selling out, about authenticity and integrity, and um, because they're questions that like they're actually part of the arts that we're all interested in, that, that we care about. Um, and they're questions that are like to do with like how you live your life and, 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 and the choices that you make and, um, and, and how you kind of respond to, um, to, to things every day. They're part of how I view my role in, in a classroom, for instance. Um, and, yeah, I, I think I think I, I find I find it infinitely fascinating, but I I, all, I also struggle actually to kind of like resolve any of that in in my mind. Um, does that does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, this is the conundrum um, that I think it, I, I think it forces those genres to evolve. Um, I think that it allows them to be. Uh, to kind of it allows them to have generational responses to the predecessors mm. um, it allows kind of intra genre uh, antithesis and synthesis mm. um, just to bring back Hegel from earlier um, <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I ask it because it's something I wonder about all the time, and um, especially if you get somebody from Mayhem, who, as we mentioned earlier, is like, 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 who who can be really more countercultural than a band like Mayhem, um, who has really did a lot to instantiate the destruction of existing norms um and and it's an institution literally destruction of them yeah. uh, and then to be you know going through security checkpoints and shaking hands with politicians and doing their best to make the their their country look good internationally you know yeah, I mean, yeah. sorry no, I, mean, I was going to say, I mean, with regards to to some of the Norwegian black metal anyway, I think like um, the the acts of the acts of violence did still come from uh, a pretty nationalistic place. So nice. like, to see them shaking hands with their own heads of heads of state might in a in a weird way be the actual conclusion to to what uh, maybe some of those guys were we're really going for and additionally you know i think like the reason why people don't know what to make of like some bands being successful and how to still throw shows that are that, that count as you know diy or countercultural in any way shape or form is is like what you know sam already alluded to is our current economic structure um has so many things in place to where like you just eventually are getting beat down and paying Live Nation to see your favorite band, and your favorite band doesn't even really want to be on the Live Nation show or the Live Nation tour, but they don't really have a choice now because uh, the band was doing well, and well, shit, they they have a mortgage to pay for, so now they got to do this shit, and like 
yeah, um, the the entire way are uh, the the entire way our our uh, economic system is set up is to keep people from um, actually doing anything other than culture war, right? Like with most people, like with the example I always think of was when people thought there would be like civil war if like Donald Trump won again in the United States. To me, that's a that's that's just not plausible. People aren't going to abandon uh, their their jobs or their their mortgages because we're already in an economic system that banks on precarious labor and knows damn well that you're not going to actually take up arms in, in the street or, or anything along those lines. And the uh, uh, our our free time is also kind of dictated in that way uh like i'm gonna go see my favorite my favorite band at the live nation show because this is this is all this economic structure can produce for for me to consume this is all i've got (laughs) yeah yeah well that's like um uh, mark fisher wrote a a, a thinker and critic really important to to me kind of formative for me you know and that you're talking about what he calls like capitalist realism you know like that that sense of like like capitalism sort of defining the horizon of, of, of possibility in, in some ways, like, like, you know, what is, what's kind of thinkable almost like within, within that framework. Mm. Yeah. And like, again, and, and again, like I, I think that, uh, you know, we've all in some capacity worked with young people at our jobs. Like mm. they all know that, that this shit doesn't have to be this way and they, they want to know why. Um, yeah. And I think that's, uh, again, like, you know, there, there are other, there are other avenues to where, like, I think that hypothetically, if we had, um, you know, if we had everything from more funding to the arts to, you know, wage increases across all industry, at least speaking for my own country, um, I, I think that the question of like, did this band sell out all of a sudden becomes like, not as important because you're, you're living in this much more equitable society where, uh, where labor and innovation are actually rewarded, not just who owns the means of production, to put it in Marxist terms. Yeah, yeah, like that's that's really useful, I think, to think of the, the question of selling out as as itself like a kind of a, a, a product of those like internal tensions. Right. So yeah. Yeah. I think I think they are I think they are personally. Again, like what uh you know there are so many guys in bands who were had very generic working class jobs blink 182 being one of them like what what are you what are you supposed to do you can see your whole future in front of your eyes uh, in like uh, at a construction job or something along those lines and then all of a sudden it's like you want to you want to do you want to do the band full time and do the live nation tour and kind of make a deal with the devil it's like uh, well, yeah, under this, under under our current, <laughs> under our current mm-hmm. economic structure, I, Tom DeLong, have no choice but to do this. <laughs> <laughs> also, aliens are definitely real. Um, yeah. But so, yeah, I, I, th- I think that that uh, that's I don't know that makes it easier for 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 me to, to to navigate the calling someone or something a sellout to me. I think is a pretty uncritical and unuseful way to talk about uh bands and the broader music industry as a whole yeah well it's sort of sort of a capitalist success as well to like have people who are struggling financially 
um, or or just associate themselves with the working class or the lower class um, to partner integrity and poverty. Yeah. 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 That yeah. sounds like capitalism like did its job because that, that creates the crabs in a barrel phenomenon where either you stay down here where we're all living hand to mouth or you're dead to us. Yeah. Like f fetishizing poverty is really not what we need to be doing right now. You know, like a, right. as, as, as a, as a mark of, um, you know, of some kind of authenticity or, you know, as you put it. And um, yeah. Yeah. Well, that seems like it's such an interesting dissonance between people who I'm thinking more about punks right now who are tooth and nail against power structures of wealth and institutional violence. And, and yet that means that we want everyone to experience this poverty. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. It, it sounded, I was able to formulate it more until it came out of my mouth, but I, I think that that's, it sounds like capitalism is, is a lot of punks who espouse poverty as a, yeah, a, a form of authenticity are doing capitalist rhetoric's job. 100%. By yeah. keeping this focused on like horizontal control rather than vertical control, where if you can, if you can kind of shame your your uh, community members into not uh, trying to ascend economically, then less competition for the people who are, mm. less cop less competition for the people who really are espousing capitalist uh, mm. philosophies. Actually, a really um, interesting book that I, I just started reading uh, by um, Rachel Greenwald Smith, who's um, a, a literary critic, a US literary critic, um, called On Compromise. And um, she used to be in like a, a kind of sort of punk riot girl band, I think. And there's, there's a, a chapter in there on, uh, on punk and the notion of of selling out and um and how are our, our kind of ideas of compromise as um like a kind of positive liberal value might be uh kind of you know looking <laughs> uh more kind of problematic at a, at a you know in the kind of era of of, of trump right uh and and the, like i think she's trying to figure out how you can kind of return to like a kind of a punk ethos of no compromise um, without then kind of falling back into what's problematic about the kind of selling out discourse. Hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's, it's one of the, I'm, I'm really, I'm really keen to kind of push on with, with, with reading that because, you know, the, it's, I hope it's kind of getting to, to the heart of, of some of these questions. That that one that sounds like that sounds like a very worthwhile read and like two I think the thing that like we're that like like Evan was talking about with like punks and hardcore kids in the United States and kind of the like almost like the uh, fetishizing like you know you should always have a bad time on tour you should all your band should never 
you know, be anything more than what, like, than just, like, a basement kind of show band. Hmm. I think, like, we're, like, really blind to, like, how much the the arts have been slashed. Uh, for example, like, yeah. a lot of bands in, in uh, like, a lot, a lot of touring bands in Canada or even in the UK, to my knowledge at least, are able to apply for, like, a grant before they go on tour so like there's been there's been multiple instances where like canadian bands like get get a grant before they go on tour or whatever and that's basically shit so like if their show tanks or if nobody can put them up for the night now they have hotel and and gas money whereas here we do the we do the like good fucking luck looks like you're sleeping in the van again kind of routine Mm -hmm. if like if your show tanks on a diy circuit um and I, so I don't know. I think I think a lot of it just com- comes back to the you know a lot of the solutions to making everything like a more equitable place and letting people actually live the life they want to live are, are kind of already right in front of us, and we've chosen to uh, intentionally um, slash the funding for anything that might uh, improve the lives of people who want to do music or art or or literature full full time, and it's forced them into a, a precarious service economy. Uh, now that we are no longer an industrial one, so I mean it's it's I you know regret to report <laughs> it's a pretty similar for all the differences and and like there there are many differences that um, like it's a pretty similar picture in, in in the UK like I mean our arts funding has been like, like catastrophically slashed um, and Damn. and especially you know especially if you're if you're operating within uh you know genres like like punk and metal then you know it is um it's uh it's a serious struggle you know and, and unless of course you're already like you know an established artist working um uh in in established spaces and uh you know with um with with kind of you know f- financial support already in in, in place but um yeah and I, I think i think it is really it's really really tough out there um and there there are little uh rays of, of of light and you know sometimes even happening on um like a a pretty decent sized scale as well like a supersonic uh festival uh, like here that happens in um uh, kind of reclaimed industrial spaces here in in birmingham i think is is really uh inspiring um the work that they're doing with um a group called decolonize fest uh in in london as well collaborations with them <laughs> um you know run by um like punks of of, of color um and the, the bills that, that supersonic will, will put on where you'll get you know thou and old man gloom with bunwell and with you know avant-garde folk and you know uh really really creative and and exciting and um but but I, I it is it is hard like like I, I don't I don't have anything like the experience that that you guys do of, of actually kind of like touring with bands and uh, but you know I've I've got I've got friends in bands friends who are promoters and you know friends in in, in industry and um, uh, and it is yeah with li- little rays of light aside I think I think it's pretty brutal out there so yeah damn. All this time, I thought all I had to do was move to another country and I could do my <laughs> yeah, band yeah. full time. Yeah, yeah. Fuck. Yeah. 
All right, back yeah, to the drawing board. I, I thought all my problems would be solved by moving to the U.S. when I was a kid. You know, we're, we're going back to that kind of like you know the yeah. fantasy projection of America that first kind of drew me to to, to U.S. literature. But yeah, that's awesome. I love that. It's good to know that we're all always thinking the grass is always greener. Um, that seems to never. That seems to always be the eternal human condition wherever you are. For uh, sure. Yeah. Well, Evan, should we move to our underrated gem segment, or do you all want to keep talking about capitalism and its relation to uh, uh, doing hardcore punk and metal bands? <laughs> I'm I'm good with underrated gems. Are you, does that sound okay, Sam? Yeah, yeah, abs- absolutely. That sounds great. Cool. Do you want to start, Dylan? Yeah, I'm I'm good to start. Actually, I I, I have two two quick ones. Um, the first one is uh, Greyhound from Oakland, California um yeah just per perfect fucking hardcore band i don't know what else to say about that and then the other one is uh is piss mixer from reno uh if you if you like spy or you think spy and peace test and that style of hardcore is just blowing your mind right now piss mixer has been at it well before any of that was back in vogue um and yeah i think they they are just the perfect stompy hardcore band. Uh, I'm still bummed they have the, they they never want to play with us whenever we come to Reno. Um, <laughs> so I don't know what the fuck is up with that. But anyway, yeah, Piss Mixer, awesome band. Piss Mixer, okay. Uh, do you want to go, Sam? Okay, yeah, sure, sure. Um, I I've been thinking about this. Um, one band that came to my mind. Um, who I think are, are defunct now, um, but I really, I, I think they, they deserve a lot of attention. And I hope I'm pronouncing this right. I think it's the Pijuan, uh, which is uh, uh, like a Ojibwe uh, and, and a Shinabe word. They're, they're from Ontario. Really, really great kind of amalgam of doom, grind uh, and, and noise rock. Um, and uh, they, they have a, a 2013 album called Something for Everyone, Nothing for Anyone, uh, which was mixed by uh, Tapon Das from um, uh, Fuck the Facts. Oh. Really, like, yeah, I, I think it's a fantastic record that just kind of got lost in the ether. I, I don't know what happened to, uh, to, to the band, if there you know, personal stories there or... Um, I'm not sure what the members of that band are doing now, but yeah, something for everyone, nothing for anyone. Still up on on Bandcamp, really, really great stuff. Um, my other two shout outs are for Cleric uh, from, from Philadelphia, who are kind of avant-garde metal group. Um, two records, Regressions and Retro Causal, that both went out on um, Trace Bruance's Web of Mimicry label. Um, and I, I can't believe that like anyone who's into like early Dillinger, Converge, Kralis, or John Zorn, or kind of you know the whole like Colin Marsden, Mick Barr kind of school of avant metal, like like it, they should love Cleric. Like Cleric should be more sort of celebrated than than they are, I think. Um, and I, last one would be maybe a band that's probably best known to to political listeners um and that's filth is eternal oh yeah um 
I mean, I you know, I they get quite a lot of traction now, but like I, I'm just not sure that people really appreciate how good that band are. Like, and, <laughs> um, maybe that's from a UK perspective as well, you know. But like Lisa Mongo is such an incredible performer and lyricist and singer, and and that that band are incredibly tight. Um, I really really appreciate uh, what 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 they do. So yeah, Filth is Eternal. Great band. I saw. Brian and Lisa used to be in a band. I think it was, yeah, Brian as, and Lisa used to be in a band called He Whose Ox is Gored. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was a little bit more post metally, uh, a little bit more, I guess, kind of in the vein of like ISIS and stuff. Mm. Um, and then I, I haven't seen Filth is Eternal as Filth is Eternal, but I saw them as fucking bound um, at, a, at a now defunct. Uh, venue in the valley called master's chambers uh, with languish and that was an outstanding show yeah i'd be really eager to see them again so yeah excellent choices um i have two they're both kind of adjacent to one another um or at least they're both trap them adjacent um, ah. and tra i trap them as a personal favorite of mine i think it's also one of dylan's favorites um and uh, Trap Them itself, I feel like, is a little underrated. They are, I mean, people who know them love them, but I don't, I don't know that they're, it would be hard for me to decide that they were appropriately rated because they're amazing, and I don't really hear them talked about often enough. But their, their kind of previous um, incarnation was Backstabbers Incorporated. Hmm. Um, and it's not the same band, but it's 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 got a lot of what I love about Trap Them. It's a little bit more straightforward, a little bit less crusty, um, a little bit more melodic. Uh, so um, it doesn't push as many of the the boundaries of genre that Trap Them does, but it's really excellent hardcore, like metallic hardcore um and uh from new hampshire and they were uh working in the late 90s um originally formed in the late 90s as a band called life passed on but um yeah i just feel like they're uh, they're not appropriately appreciated um in fact i first found out about them because i thought somebody was wearing a trap them shirt uh, and it was actually a backstabber shirt, and I didn't realize that one of the Trap Them shirt designs was just an homage to hmm. Backstabbers Incorporated. Um, and then the other one I found out about because Ryan, the uh, vocalist of Trap Them, was doing a rare interview. Um, Ryan McKinney uh, doing a rare interview um, post Trap Them. Um, now that he's living his non-band life and uh he recommended a connecticut band called die my will and this seems like a band a connecticut band that was very short-lived for less than five years about 95 to 2000 but shorter than that um it's one of these bands where all of your favorite bands all of your favorite metallic hardcore bands love this band but no none of the fans really listen to them at least in in my experience mm. and yeah metallic hardcore sludgy um i don't know it's it's extremely 
emotional. If we want to talk about catharsis, die my will just feels really unhinged and real. And like this person is just working out all of their issues um, on stage and it just feels very visceral. Um, and I think that uh, well, the, there's a, they just recently uh, re-released or, or reissued um, their main release called Endless Suffering on Blasphemer Records, but it's probably sold out by now because it was pretty short. Um, maybe Endless Suffering is the name of the track, not the album, but yeah, worth checking out. Um, yeah, I, I think that people should go check, check Die My Will out. Everybody's got a lot of homework to do. Sounds, <laughs> yeah. like. I've been I've been scribbling down all this stuff. So uh, me too. I don't know if you can hear the clacking of the keys, but that's what I'm. Doing. <laughs> I, I put it. All, I also put it all in my like stupid Spotify library <laughs> for later. <laughs> <laughs> so, hell yeah! Well, that's awesome, man. This is a uh, per usual. Just another another flawless political episode. <laughs> I, I really I, I really appreciate. Uh, the, the two of you having me on and um, like, you know, I, I hope I was halfway coherent. Um, it's, um, you know, <laughs> I'm really, I'm really in the grind of, um, of term at, at the moment. Um, so uh, maybe, maybe not my sharpest, but um, like it was an, it was an absolute pleasure. And like I said, I, like, I am, I'm, I'm a fan of the, the, the podcast and, um, and I've become a pig city fan uh, as well. Like, like, like recently, I, I just think, um, I think that's incredible stuff. And I, I really hope, the band can go from strength to strength. Thank dude, Sam. Thank you so much for, for saying that. And like, I, yeah, uh, no, no bullshit. I thought, I think you're the perfect political guest. And I hope that this was like a very welcomed, like mental break from uh, the uh, difficult point you're at with the, with the semester or term, I think <laughs> is, is what it's called. <laughs> yeah, no, no, re re really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. And I'll be listening in future as well. So. Amazing. Yeah, I was. It was a thrill. I'm uh, Sam and I've been kind of putting this in the works for a little while. Ever since, and I had to give credit where credit is due. My wife uh, found Sam on Twitter and recommended that I reach out. And um, yeah, it's 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 our. This is the broadest time uh, difference that we've had for any guests so far. Um, so we're we're really um broadening our horizons literally um uh, and stylistically with the metal angle um so yeah it was it was a, a pleasure and and yeah thank you so much for taking your time to talk with us awesome like what well, thank you and uh, yeah like take care both of you yeah absolutely thanks again sam it was it was awesome and we'll we'll talk soon anytime you want I, i'd love to yeah let's let's keep in touch bye absolutely yeah. hell yeah Definitely.